Well, welcome everybody to this latest episode of Pod Bless Canada, the McDonald Laurie Institute's in-house podcast. We've been away on hiatus for a while, but we're glad to be back. And I'm very pleased to be joined today by uh, one of my colleagues here at MLI, Senior Fellow Peter Menzies. Thank you, Peter, for joining us today. Uh, we're going to be talking about two bills uh, that are before Parliament right now. They got quite a bit of attention. Um, I call them the bills of the government trying to regulate the internet. Bill C11, the Online News Act, and Bill C or sorry, Bill. Bill C-11, the Online Streaming Act, and Bill C-18, which is the Online News Act. And Peter, um, you've written extensively about both of these bills, and uh, we could probably spend several hours uh, talking about what these bills are in their entirety. Um, I think it's fair to say, loosely, C-11 has to do with um, uh, the government sort of meddling with Canadian content and uh, having uh, having uh, you know the ability to you know, change what Canadians see um, in terms of cultural content. And C11 um, has to do with basically trying to shake down some of the large platforms like Facebook and Google to to subsidize newspapers. But I wanted to talk a bit about sort of the latest developments with these bills. Maybe we could start first with uh, C11. Um, this uh, this bill had some some major amendments proposed by the Senate. Um, it went to the House of Commons. Uh, the House did not accept uh, a lot of these consequential amendments. It's going back to the Senate now. Uh, do you see any any realistic prospect of uh, this bill changing any further, or is this pretty much a done deal now? I'm afraid I do not see any prospect of it changing any further. I I would rather hope that the Senate would. Uh, stiffen its spine again and push back with the amendment, particularly the one that uh, uh, wouldn't extend Bill C-11 to user-generated content. In other words, your Facebook posts, your YouTube uploads, uh, your Facebook videos. I mean, this is audio and visual stuff, not text. But uh, yeah, I wish they would. But the last C-11 go-round in the Senate was actually the most lengthy examination of legislation, I believe, it, at least in modern Senate history. Mm -hmm. um, they worked really hard. They actually, they were, unlike the House of Commons Heritage Committee, they were very polite to witnesses. Um, they didn't interrogate them. They sought to learn. They sought to understand. And once they understood, they made some very thoughtful amendments, I thought, which didn't, shouldn't have gotten in the way of the government's, what the government says its chief purpose is. But Nevertheless, they were rejected, and I think the Senate is just exhausted and dispirited at this point. Yeah, we talk a bit about that user-generated content uh, part of the bill. I mean, the government seems to insist that uh, it's not going to touch that stuff. Uh, you know, anyone objective not connected to the government uh, seems to say, well, that's really not what the bill says. What is the government like? What, in your view, is the di distinction between what the government says the bill is meant to do and what, what the letter of the bill actually proposes to do? Well, the government says what the bill is meant to do is is to obtain money for official government funds for film and television production, Canadian film and television production from the streaming giants, the, the Netflix and that sort of stuff. I mean, there's a very good argument you could make that the last, the, you know, 10, 15 years have been the best in, in history for the Canadian film and production industry. Uh, because the money wasn't coming through gov official government funds, it was actually coming through market forces. I mean, you can they, you can go back and forth, and there's a francophone element in that in terms of funding that is probably inspiring uh, Bill, Bill, Bill C-11 in that regard. But what it actually does is it more or less defines the internet as as if it were cable. It defines the internet as broadcasting, which it just is not. 
There are things that are similar to broadcasting, video streaming, and that sort of stuff that exist on the internet, but the internet is not broadcasting. So it grants the, the CRTC authority over the entire internet globally and that sort of stuff when it really, which is going to be a problem, if not in the short term, it'll definitely be a problem in the long term. Because as long as there's a door that somebody can kick open that is to their advantage, they will be appealing to the CRTC to kick it open. And sooner or later, the user generated content uh, portion of, of the bill, which the government says it doesn't want to touch. And, you know, let's take them at their word and maybe they don't right now but they are allowing that door to be pushed open and it will be pushed open eventually. I see. Now, I want to come back to what you said about how broadcasting is not like the internet. Uh, and that may be true, but what do you say to the folks? I mean, it's really a cultural nationalism argument and a lot of smaller countries make this case that, um, you know, the reality is we need to have some level of cultural protection, subsidization, government regulation. Otherwise, we just get swamped by American culture. And that was sort of historically accepted when it came to things like TV and radio. Um, you know, is that is that what's different about the internet? Why is that no longer a risk or are you simply saying that's still a risk, but uh, the tools that CRTC is, is being given here are, are just not fit for purpose. Well, I mean, short of short of site blocking, which is a really draconian idea, I'm not sure you can stop the world from coming to Canada via the internet. And I think it, there's a fundamental change difference in thinking. The internet has provided Canadian creators um, access to a global market, right? And you, you can decide that you want to compete on a 28 million Anglophone market in Canada and protect yourself within that. Or you can look at the global market of a couple of, you know, of, of 1.5 billion Anglophones, right? And, and you can expand to that. The people who are being successful, the YouTube creators, et cetera, they're being successful too. Here's the other and this is sort of a fundamental economic thing. They're, they're successful because they create content that people like. Mm -hmm. Justin Bieber became successful on YouTube because he sang songs that people liked in a way that people liked, right? Not because he got funding. The, 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 the problem with the Canadian content regime is not its aspiration. It's that it measures its success in terms of production. It's a very, and I mean, I'm cautious of, you know, people interpreting this as an extreme thing to say, but it's a very Soviet style way of measuring your economics. You are counting the number of shoes that you make in the factory, not the number of shoes that people are buying. Yeah. Right? And, and this is the problem until you get a Canadian structure. You know, I think we can, we can all agree that, you know, the idea of our stories being told and that is a great idea. But until you have a structure that rewards and promotes consumer consumption mm. of what you are making and, it, and isn't just limited to the production of something maybe nobody ever watches, you're going to fail. Yeah, that's an interesting way to, to put it, because especially when you're talking about culture, I mean, the whole argument behind this is that we want important contributions to Canadian culture, right? Someone to tell ourselves their own stories. But if you tell a story and no one's listening or you screen a film in the woods and there's no one there to watch it, um, how do you measure what the sort of 
cultural contribution of that is the fact that it was made is that the contribution or um, how can you how can you credibly argue that it's uh, forms a, a relevant part of Canadian culture if literally no other Canadian or very very few of them have ever actually been exposed to it so right. I get yeah so I, I guess um, you know and maybe the difference with the internet uh, is that you know, before Canadian culture was focused on uh, ensuring that Canadians would have access to Canadian culture, whereas now with the internet, if you are a Canadian who is creating cultural content, your main audience isn't Canadians. Your main audience is actually everybody of which Canadians are just a small subset. Does that does that sound about right? Yeah, I mean that's the opportunity. I mean that's that's where you're that's where you're going to make profit. Even within the Within the regulated system, there are specialty channels that operate. Like I remember years ago talking to a fellow who ran a uh, an Asian TV, you know, specialty channel in in Canada, and what he was discovering was that uh, you know some of his, for instance, uh, uh, Punjabi material and that sort of stuff that was actually done in English and Punjabi. Um, what he was discovering was there was the size of the market in Canada was was you know good enough for him to. To, to make a living, mm. but that there were 125 million uh, Anglophones in India that he could sell the same content to, right? Wow. You've always, the successful Canadian content, most successful Canadian content creators have always been the ones who've made something that they can export. The domestic market just isn't really big enough for them to be able to be competitive. And, and they have some real issues. I mean, CTV and Global, and you know, they can buy um, leftovers, if you want to call it, U.S. product. Very, you know, shows that cost seven, eight million dollars an episode to make. Right. right, and and that's and that's what their market value is in the states. For ten percent of that cost, they sell the rights to Canada. Right. It costs at least two and a half million dollars an episode to make a to have the production values you need to be successful in Canada. So the Canadian content is costing two and a half million dollars while you're allowing your broadcasters to import foreign product that is of superior production value, at least for less, yeah. uh, for like a quarter of the, you know, or less than half the price. And that's, that's the great conundrum and that, that nobody really, really wants to deal with because the only solution to it is to tell people that, you know, if you really want to push the Canadian content, you can't dump your product in Canada. You wouldn't yeah. let anybody else do it. You wouldn't let them dump their cars in Canada like that. Yeah. You wouldn't yeah. let them dump their oil in Canada like that or any other product, but they let them dump their entertainment product. Interesting. Um, and you just mentioned the competitiveness of these, uh, you know, Canadian creators now. So, I mean, what are, what are the implications right now? I mean, as far as I've seen, there are many, many Canadian creators who basically, you know, from from their house have built up audiences in the millions and there are many of them making a living full time sort of sharing their content with the world what are the implications of bill c11 for them for them for their ability to compete on the global stage um, for eyeballs i think they're they're a very frightened group of people right now and i think they're mostly frightened by the fact that the government has really dismissed them as people who make cat videos right they the, the contempt with which they have been treated is breathtaking. And a lot of it's fueled by the lobbies, the, you know, the lobby groups, the official, the official CanCon crowd who has, uh, you know, looks down their nose at them. That they can't be, it's very class, it's <laughs> class yeah. warfare in, in, a, in a sense. I mean, they could get blown away by this. And the reason is, is because the CRTC now has the ability to push 
uh, the these these streaming companies, companies like YouTube is probably the best example to prioritize official Canadian content so that when you go onto YouTube, the first things you're going to see listed will be official government, you know, CRTC approved Canadian content. That means the other stuff gets suppressed, right? right. So the stuff that is produced through an economic system that measures production is what you'll see first. The stuff that is produced through an economic system that, that rewards uh, consumption you may not see, you might not get to it. I mean, it, it'll be there, you can find it, if, but it, but it won't get volume. And because of that, what will also happen is that because it is not viewed as much domestically, it won't get the same priority internationally, right? right? Or, you know, YouTube will have to suppress it internationally um, because, of, because it's, it, it's got to treat everybody equally. So, you know, it could be economically devastating for those people. And there's not just a few of them. There are 30,000 people who make a full-time living as YouTube producers in Canada. It's one of the, the, one of the, the, one of the world's greatest uh, uh, YouTube economies is in Canada. And Bill C-11 uh, could destroy it. And, 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 and it's, that would be very sad. I mean, there's 100,000 people making some kind of living. Um, off YouTube in 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 Canada, thirty thousand of them, and some of them, you know, significant. They have significant operations. These are not, you know, they might be able to do it from their home, but we can. I mean, we're doing this from our homes, right? And there's yeah. all kinds of things you can do from your home. That doesn't mean that you don't have a, a good studio in your home, right? Or, sure. Anyway. Well, it's uh, the digital creators are at a, at a huge disadvantage going into the CRTC hearings too. It really does make you wonder what the problem is they're trying to solve. If you've got a story where the internet has now empowered up to 100,000 Canadians to make a living sharing content with the world without any government intervention or subsidy, that sounds like a good news story. And yet uh, here you have the government saying, well, we better do something about that real quick. So that is uh, that is uh, terribly uh, depressing. Well, um, I think the problem they're trying to solve is a political problem. Yeah. They well, want to make sure, they want to make sure that the Bloc Québécois can't stand up and say, hey, we're protecting Francophone culture and these guys won't. And it's the web giants are suppressing the French language and blah, blah, blah. So that's that's the problem they're trying to solve. And they seem to be willing to drive that bus over anybody who gets in the way. Yes. Yeah. Alarming, to say the least. Um, I want to switch gears to another bill uh, that you've also written extensively about. This one's Bill C-18, the Online News Act. Um, you know, this uh, this bill has been very contentious. Um, we, you know, was recently making waves in the news when uh, I think Facebook announced that if this bill passed, they'd stop allowing the sharing of links to news outlets on their platform. They were accused uh, by some liberal, uh, one liberal uh, MP accused them of putting Canadians at risk, uh, their safety at risk by not allowing the posting of links. Um, you know, and it seems to me there's a bit of a catch-22 with this bill. You know, the government and some of their their allies on this bill have suggested that uh, when platforms like Google and Facebook share these links without paying for them, they're stealing the content. Um, but then when Facebook and Google say, well, okay, then we won't share the links, um, then they're accused of, well, you're threatening us. Um, so I, it seems like a bit of a catch-22 for them. Um, what, uh, you know, where do you see this going? Do you think that Facebook and Google are are bluffing or, or you know, if these are really lucrative things to do to share links, um, that they're going to keep doing it or that, uh, or are they actually going to find a way to, to, to stop doing it? 
Um, the rational thing for Facebook to do is to to do what what it's doing. Uh, the, <laughs> I mean, the accusation of theft is absurd and unproven. It's one of those things that people just keep. And this happens a, a, a shocking a, a amount in uh, public policy debates. Somebody just says something, and you keep repeating it with conviction. Um, you never actually prove it or argue it. You just keep saying it. So they're stealing. And as you said, <laughs> the, it's it, the complete illogic. You're stealing something from me. And you're like, okay, I'll stop. And you're like, stop bullying me. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like this is, this is no, that that is no intellectual foundation upon which to build public policy. Right? Arguments, arguments of that nature. So Bill C-18, I think, is just going to end in tears. I don't think that, I think that Google may, in the end, just write the check. Mm -hmm. uh, they're appealing, uh, you know, promoting the idea that there should be just some sort of fund then that they would be willing to contribute. I actually think if they went down that road, I think Facebook would probably contribute to it too. None of them intended to kill journalism. Mm -hmm. right? and, and you can make a pretty good argument that, even though you know there's 460 newspapers uh, or and other news organizations that have died in Canada in the last 10 years, there's 225 that have started up, mm. and I'm not certain if you know radio stations starting websites have is, is counted in those in those numbers. So it might there's no question that it's been grim for journalism in terms of its its revenue sources drying up. But Bill C-18 isn't going to isn't going to solve them. You need a much broader public policy framework to build. You need to build a much broader public policy framework for the for the news industry in terms of that. Facebook, I believe, will is absolutely one hundred percent ready ready to leave if Bill C-18 passes as is, and I believe it will pass as is. Um, the news they've been suppressing news on Facebook uh, in its in its feeds for years now, uh, primarily because that's not people what people really go to Facebook for, hmm. right? You know, I mean, if you want to post something on your Facebook page that says, you know, Pierre Poiliev is a, a fascist, uh, here's a story that proves it, you got a lot of friends who might disagree with that, right? And they don't really want to fight with you. They don't, you know, what they want to see is pictures of your grandchildren and your kids, right? They want to see your your daughter playing the piano at a at, at a recital and and uh, and your son dressed up as Peter Pan in the school play and that sort of stuff. They, that, that's what people go to Facebook for. Um, so the news, the the journalism industry, the news creators have very very much overestimated their appeal um, and the amount of revenue. And, and Facebook has just looked at it and say, look, if this costs us a couple hundred million bucks in Canada, everybody's just going to copy that internationally in terms of public policy. And pretty soon that 200 million, uh, on a global scale is 10, 15, 20 billion. Yeah. Uh, we're out. Right. I mean, it's the only rational thing to do, right? right. Um, you, you can't afford to be stuck with the bill for global journalism. Yeah, it's interesting that maybe uh, you wonder if the government's miscalculated here in thinking, oh, well, what, you know, they'll accept being shaken down by us because it won't be that much money, but not realizing that Facebook 
knows every other country is watching. And so that if Canada succeeds, it's going to kind of be open season on them. And that, that very much changes the equation. Well, I um, think that's, that's really the mistake. I think, I think the public servants succumb to the temptation that a lot of public servants do. And the government did that. You know what? We're going to have a, we're going to be global leaders in this. We're going to come up with the most extensive, most expansive, you know, and Pablo Rodriguez, the heritage minister, has even been up there saying, you know, the world is watching. <laughs> it's like, yeah, they are. Problem. That's the problem. The world is watching you. You you went a bridge too far. Yeah. I, I wanted to come back to uh, what you said about the the news industry, and I know you've written extensively on this. I mean, a, anyone who's been paying attention knows that uh, you know the news sector is in, is uh, in, you could say in decline or in flux. I guess it depends on how you look at it. And the advertising model obviously broke down. Uh, you know, a lot of people will recognize that newspapers derived uh, you know all their all their revenue from advertising, and then the internet just destroyed that model. And so you've seen um, you know attempts to rebuild leaner models, subscription models. But of course, there are still sort of old newspapers, especially several in this country, that are sort of hanging on for dear life. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on what the online news act means, because you mentioned some of the, the startups. We hear a lot about the newspapers that are dying, but we don't hear anywhere near as much about the new outlets um, that aren't newspapers that are delivering news in different ways that have started up over the last decade or so. Um, what is what is the online news act going to mean for the competitiveness of new entrants to the marketplace? Well, it's, it suppresses their opportunity, essentially. If, if you wind up with legislation that, that supports products that no longer make sense from, a business, from an economic point of view. And, and just you know, for, for a second, let's look at some of these old newspapers. You know, the, 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 the joke used to be that I mean, they're, 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 they are big, cumbersome entities, right, that were slow to respond to change. This was back when they were being successful, um, you know, because it, it was sort of like the, once you've seen a trend show up in the pages of a newspaper, you know, it's over. <laughs> that's, that's how, that's how long it takes. So they have really struggled, you know, and, and I say this with great fondness, although it's not a nice thing to say necessarily with the ability to adapt. And to be fair, I have no idea how they could have, you know, when Kijiji and Craigslist came along and basically gave away 40% of their revenue, which was classified ads for free um, uh, to begin with, how do you compete against that, right? How do you compete against the internet when it starts up, when a car dealer or a, or a realtor all of a sudden has their own website and they can sell directly to customers? They don't have to do it by buying an ad through you, you know, yeah. although they continued to do so because uh, the newspapers still had some value and they still do have some have some commercial value in that regard. They, they have collective bargaining agreements that were built in the 1980s and 1970s, right? Which were built on the basis of, you know, the, of, of newspapers that made a lot of money, yeah. right? They don't make sense anymore. Right. You know, again, nobody really wants to make the workplace a less inviting place to work, but those jobs that, that pay $80,000 aren't worth $80,000 anymore. Yeah. You just aren't, they're worth 50. 40 maybe I, I mean i don't know what their their their, their market value is but but the, the the business you know were 30 35 hour work work weeks with time and a half overtime for the first seven hours and double time for after that you know like again nobody wants workers to be you know in sweatshops or anything like that but a lot of these encumbrances pensions etc those are really heavy anchors yeah. for those for those ones now for the new guys 
they're largely unencumbered by by right. some of those things. I mean, eventually they will be if they're successful, but they're like typical innovators. They're 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 small. They're nimble. They don't have uh, they have they have a distribution network for free, right through Facebook and Twitter or whatever. They they can get their product out. They can distribute their product to potentially millions of people, and they can geolocate them to their to their to their area and they can boost through advertising if they wish but they don't have to um and so facebook withdrawing mm -hmm. from carrying news is a real setback for them I, like i've talked to a couple of them and they've said well at first they thought they were this would kill them but they've grown enough that they're getting their heads around this and they're making plans for for facebook to withdraw but but absolutely, there is. It is not a good thing to be subsidizing business models that that don't make sense. You, if you're going to be creating public policy to encourage anything, it should be encouraging the transition to yeah, the yeah. digital world. Because I mean, print is it's over. Yeah. You know, I mean, <laughs> it, it was obvious like 15 years ago that in the end there might be one or two actual print products left in the country that you might buy on Saturdays the way you used to buy the Saturday evening post or, 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 or a weekend. Remember weekend magazine? Maybe you're not yeah. able to remember weekend magazines and newspapers, but you know, where the newspaper becomes a weekend magazine that might still exist, but yeah. the yeah. digital world is where everything's at. Kind of like uh, like vinyl records, not, instead of being like the main sort of form of consuming music, more of a more of a niche product, right? That uh, that people sort of buy, um, you know, for sp on special occasions or or you know people who who are collectors or things like that. And maybe the same as uh, like you say for for print newspapers, we still get news. It's just not going to come in the form of uh, printing things on dead trees anymore. Um, this has been really great, uh, Peter. I want to thank you very much for uh, joining us. I'm sure we'll be back to talk about this, uh, these bills or the consequences which have been foretold about them uh, down the road. Um, but thank you very much for joining us today. And thank you, uh, our viewers and listeners, for joining us. We'll catch you next time on Podblast Canada.